Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Praise God, praise God. While you're still standing, if you have your Bible or uh, something to read the Scripture with, turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. John 16. Everybody have a good week? Praise God. Did anybody have anything happen you didn't like? Every week, isn't it? But you know what? As Brother Don Johnson wrote in the song many, many years ago, the good days outweigh the bad days. I won't complain. Praise God. John chapter 16, verse number 33, last verse of this 16th chapter of John. Jesus says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me, everybody say, in Jesus, you might have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I want to talk to you today from this thought, weathering the storm, weathering the storm. The word weather is an interesting word. It's one of those uh, unique words in the English language that you can use several different ways. You can banner about, use it as a, uh, a noun. Does anybody know what the weather's going to be like tonight? I guarantee you my mom does. She, she keeps the weather channel in business. She wants to know what the weather is. But it's a word that can also be used as a verb. And it goes like this, to weather or ride out a situation or circumstance. We're going to learn how to ride out the storm today. God bless you. You may be seated, and uh, the Lord will bless his word today. I remember the song, growing up as a boy, we learned and sang one of the most familiar songs in the world to even familiar to people who don't go to church uh, is the song I'm thinking about, Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And one of the verses goes like this. It says, through many dangers, toils, and snares. Dangers, danger can come from all different directions and all different kinds of sources. Toils, that that's talking about working, working hard. Anybody ever worked hard a time or two in your life? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, a snare usually is talking about a trick or a trap. And many know that the devil, he has snares that are set for us to trip us up. Amen. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, the 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 scripture or the verse song says, I have already come. But he says, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That simply means no matter what we've been through, God has always shown us the light, given us the victory. And uh, whatever we've got to face in the future, God's already there. He's already in control. Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, you're thankful today that you can trust in God for past, present, and future uh, 
help with our needs. I want you to imagine with me this afternoon, preachers are taught in their preaching education, whether it be a Bible college or a seminary or a book on preaching, we're taught that uh, you need to help your audience identify with what you're trying to say by the use of illustrations or stories that will help you to introduce your concept that you're trying to bring to people that are listening to you, uh, illustrations. In fact, you can go online and spend money, sometimes a lot of money, uh, as a preacher to get illustrations to illustrate sermons. And uh, this one that I want to read for you today is very interesting. I loved it when I ran across it, and I think you'll find it interesting. An illustration simply kind of opens the door to, uh, in our minds to help us to begin to think about the subject matter a little bit more intricately. So do this with me, if you will. Imagine the phone rings one day with astonishingly good news. Is that a word, astonishingly? And a pleasant young voice on the other end of the line says, Hello, I'm a representative of Carol Joy Enterprises. Do you remember putting your name into a drawing last month in a store to win a month-long all-expenses-paid vacation to the English countryside? Well, guess what, sir or ma'am? You're the winner. So I don't know how you would act upon hearing news like that. Um, some of us would say, oh, well, that's great, you know, cool, calm, and collected. But others of us, I could call names, might start jumping up and down in excitement. Oh, goody, 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 goody. Are you serious? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. I've never won anything in my life. Well, whether you respond that way or the first way that I described, uh, probably immediately your mind would begin to fill with pictures, images of the green rolling hills that make up the quaint English, British countryside. <clears throat> Anybody here ever been to England? Okay, a couple of you. My wife's been to England. I heard her say that behind me. Did I go with you? All right, she says I've been there. Don't remember much about it, but it is a beautiful country when you get out of the city, especially into the rural areas, and uh, you, you can see even now in our modern day that we live in, this modern era, you can go, if you go far enough into the English countryside, you can see the little cottages with thatched uh, roofs of some kind of grass or vines, and there's even still some narrow cobblestone streets that are there. And believe it or not, still uh, you will find sheep grazing calmly in the meadows and fences made out of not wood but stone. Somebody painstakingly took the time and effort to build fences out of stone. And uh, if you go shopping, there's great places to shop. 
And you've just learned that now all of that is to be yours, a free package of airfare, lodging, food, and activities. You're told, come to our offices tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the morning. We'll give you the details. She quotes the address and then hangs up the phone. So that night, as can be expected, you can hardly sleep. Uh, right, Sister Stephanie? You've always wanted to go to England, right? Okay, you're with me. Good. So the next morning, your excitement is still strong. You get up, had a chance to sleep on it, but you're still anxious to find out more about this wonderful vacation that you have won free of charge. And so you walk uh, into the place, the address that she gave you on the phone the day before, and you sit across the desk from this lady, and she does indeed confirm the truth. You weren't living a dream in that phone call the day before. You have really won a month of leisure or leisure, however you want to say it, in England. And so she checks your ID and hands it back to you. She takes down the essential information and data from you. And then she gets down to the nitty-gritty and starts to explain the particulars. And she says it something like this. Okay, uh, on May the 17th, you have a 7.40 p.m. flight out of Lambert Airport in St. Louis. You'll need to be there, though, by 5.30 a.m., Lambert Airport, you might say with a little bit of a frown on your face, Lambert. I, I don't like Lambert. It's really hard to get there from where I live, you tell her, and especially in the middle of the evening rush hour. But she says you have to go there at 5 o'clock in the morning. You say to her, why, why can't I fly out of Mid-America Airport over in Illinois where I live, that's closer to uh, where I live, and I wouldn't have to drive as far. Uh, I thought you said I was getting a free vacation. Yes, sir, you are, but it starts out by you catching a flight from Lambert. And uh, by the way, you'll have to wait in several lines. Some of them will be very long. You're going to have to have your luggage checked, show your passport, several times, and then when the plane finally takes off, you are on a night flight that will take all night flying into London. You probably won't be able to sleep very well in those little seats, but that's just the way it is. You're going to England, and so now by this time, you're scratching your head, and you're saying to yourself, if not out loud to her, I'm not sure I like the sound of this, and so you have a complaining spirit come over you. Now, I know nobody here has ever had a complaining attitude in your entire life, but in our imaginary story, you do. You finally uh, begin to think about the bad, negative things about what's going on here. You, 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 uh, you tell her, in fact, what if, what if uh, sometimes I'm nervous when I'm flying and I've never flown across the ocean before. What, what if the plane goes down in the ocean? And so at that, the woman tries to hide it, but you see her roll her eyes at you. And she says, look, it's not going to go down. Well, I get nervous in an airplane. 
And she tries to ignore you and says, look, it's not going to go down when you get to Heathrow Airport in London. Wait a minute, you say. I thought you said I was going to the English countryside. Well, yes, sir, but first you have to stand in a long line when you get to Heathrow Airport in London and go through the customs checkpoint there, and uh, it will take several hours when you finally get up to the front of that line The gentleman or lady there will ask you several questions and stamp your passport. You have to do that to get into the country. Everybody does. Then you'll have to get your luggage, and you'll have to haul it out to a bus, which will take you into the city where you will catch a train. And, oh, by the way, it's a three-hour train ride from the city before you finally get to your hotel. Well, you're really beginning to get irritated by this time. I don't want to do all of that, you insist. I just want to walk out of my house and go straight into the little English village. And uh, to bring this little joke to a close, at this point, the woman would probably either slap you or say, get out, we're going to give this trip to somebody else. Well, she probably wouldn't slap you, but Uh, famous phrase. I said all that to say this. Sometimes life brings us to situations that have circumstances attached to them that we don't like. I am sure that you, like me, have already today faced some kind of circumstance whether it was at the house or on the trip here or maybe you were cooking breakfast or or lunch. I guarantee you everybody here under the sound of my voice, including Pastor, has already run across some kind of circumstance today that we wish was different. Maybe small, maybe something big, but that's a part of human nature. In fact, That is a fact of life. So let me talk about the hard facts of Christian life for just a minute or two. Um, We have all met Christians, I'm sure, who expect their trip to heaven from the time they get up from an altar of repentance or step out of a baptistry where they got baptized from that point to the pearly gates They expect it to be just one smooth ride the whole way. Have you ever met somebody like that? I have. Uh, And it's it's not really that surprising that you and I know people who think like that, especially here in America where our culture has been for decades now overwhelmingly pleasure oriented self-oriented. What's in it for me? Me, 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 me. But when we carry that attitude over into our relationship and walk with God, as a child of God, we get in trouble. Uh, As a result of Christians, some Christians doing that, there are those who have um, lost their bearings if you will, uh, about what living a godly life is really all about. 
and what it's supposed to be. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of public preaching, teaching that you can see or hear from dozens and dozens of sources today on television, cable TV, the Internet, uh, there's a lot of preachers that have exacerbated this problem. They've made it worse and caused people to erroneously think that uh, the trip from the altar where you got saved to the pearly gates is one that's supposed to be done on flowery beds of ease. That's not the case. And we all know that, right? Um, a person who believes that really hasn't um, read passages in the Bible like the one I'm about to read, if Brother Terry will put up, Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas came to pass at Iconium. They went both together into the synagogue. That was the church of the Jews in that city. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. They got saved. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto, now watch this, the word of his grace. So Paul and Silas, are, or Paul and Barnabas rather, are preaching and teaching in the synagogue in the city of Iconium about living for God, and they mention his grace. It takes God's grace to live for him. And then they go on to talk about signs and wonders were done in this city to accompany Paul and Barnabas's preaching. Next verse. The multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. When there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, with their rulers, that's not their yardstick, but that's with the leaders that were over them, to use them to use Paul and Barnabas despitefully. They were attacking Paul and Barnabas and tried to stone them. And they were aware of it and fled to Lystra. In other words, Paul and Barnabas got word that the, the rulers of the Jews were out to stone them. And so they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. One more verse. And there they preached the gospel. Uh, this happened over and over and over again in the ministry of Paul. He would go to a new city, begin to preach. He would start with the Jews. God said the Jews were his people in the natural. He told Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. God's covenant with Israel is still in effect and will be forever. Uh, so, Whenever Paul would go into a new city on his missionary journeys, preaching around Europe and Asia Minor, around the Mediterranean Sea and the islands thereof, he would first go to church with the Jews, to the Jewish synagogue, and there begin to preach to them Jesus Christ. Uh, after a while, whether they received him or not, whether they accepted the gospel, and usually this was the case, some would and some wouldn't, just like church today when you tell people about 
God and the plan of salvation and how they can have eternal life. Some say yes and some say, uh, not so much, maybe later. So after a while, Paul would go to the Gentiles in that town and begin to preach to them. And uh, so they'd been forced to leave Iconium. They came to Lystra. And here in Lystra, God enabled Paul to perform uh, a marvelous miracle. He healed a crippled man who had been crippled from birth. And the crowd was amazed, as they uh, always were when miracles took place around the preaching of the Word. And they began to think that Paul and Barnabas were some kind of Greek gods, so much so that uh, they wanted to worship them. But then some of the tattletalers, that's not a word, uh, correct word, some of the Jews back at Iconium, the city where they had been before Lystra, got word that Paul and Barnabas had gone to Lystra, and they wanted to rock the boat. And so they traveled from Iconium to Lystra to try to mess up Paul and Barnabas' effort to get folks saved and to preach the word. So put up verse 19. It says, There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. They said, This man's a bad man. He's not telling you the truth. And look, they actually persuaded people to pick up stones and try to kill Paul by stoning him. Uh, he wasn't killed, though, because God wasn't through with him. They drew him out of the city. Uh, they thought he was dead, so they carried his limp body outside of the borders of the city and threw him down. Verse 20 says, Albeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room today or watching online who has ever been stoned because you believe in Jesus Christ. Don't think so. Um, but this persecution is something that we need to be aware of that it's going to happen. It may not be where somebody tries to kill us, uh, but the devil is going to see to it that he motivates whoever he can, whether his demon spirits in his army who do his bidding or human beings who are given over to the devil, whether they know it or not, and come against the church and come against Christians and they come against people of God to try to thwart or stop the will of God from being done, mainly the gospel being preached and the church growing and people being saved. Uh, this persecution is going to happen. It's going to take place. You know, you know the longer I live and the more people I talk to as a pastor, the more I find that life contains a lot of stuff. Uh, and some people, as I said, think that 
Living for Jesus, a Christian life, is going to be a breeze, and it's not. Trouble breaks loose in people's lives when they try to live for God sooner or later. And all of a sudden, you may find yourself crying, where is God? Nobody told me that this or things like this were going to happen when I started serving God. Uh, there is uh, an advertising mentality or mode of thinking that really is prevalent in the church. And I'm talking about the Christian church as a whole, not just uh, the apostolic Pentecostal church. But that, that mindset that, and I've talked about this before, uh, I've said really we do people an injustice when we talk about only the good things when it comes to trying to sell somebody on the idea of giving their life to God. Yes, the good things outweigh the bad. Yes, eternal life lived with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven forever is incomparably way better than living eternity out in a blazing furnace of fire called hell. Would you say amen? The benefits far outweigh whatever we have to go through that's negative in living for God. But we need to make sure that we understand those things are going to come our way. Hardships are going to happen. Uh, this, this advertising mentality, and you see it, uh, I've seen it in our churches, but, but not so much as in perhaps other denominations and particularly charismatic groups, uh, and many of them are spirit-filled. They have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Uh, they don't have the whole truth of the oneness of God or baptism in Jesus' name, but they have the Holy Ghost, and when you have the Holy Ghost, things are going to be good. You're going to have the blessings that come with the Spirit of the Lord being active in your life. But people sometimes think that the Christian life is going to be a breeze, so much so that uh, people go after new converts with this mindset. Well, uh, don't say anything negative to Billy Joe or Bobby Sue, because I'm teaching them a Bible study. I'm trying to get them to come to church and join the church. So don't say anything negative to them. Otherwise, they may not sign up. We really do people a disservice when we have that attitude and we operate like that. that that's kind of like a, a, a used car salesman trying to point out the fancy features of the car he's trying to sell you without mentioning the bad tires or the bad dent in the trunk or the fact that the car's been in four wrecks in the last 12 months. I, I, I'm just, I'm a preacher, but I've got to say it, a lot of preaching in America, particularly today, is not really totally honest because the speaker is afraid to tell it like it is because he or she is afraid that they won't be able to close the deal. Uh, Paul did not do this, however. Paul told it like it was. You'll notice what happened right after he was stoned. Uh, no doubt he was still getting treatment for his wounds, may have even still been bleeding. Put up verse 21, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, 
They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. So they're making the full circle back. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. In other words, teaching those that had got saved the first time they were in those cities. And exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Wow. So, another version says it like this. We must go, Paul told the people, through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's what the devil will do. Don't let the devil do this to you. He's a liar and the father of it. He mixes truth with falsehood, and that makes it easier to believe the lie. But here's what Satan will do through his minions that do his bidding. It's not the devil that comes to you and I every time. The kingdom of darkness goes to work on us. It's one of the, one of the corporals or butt privates way down in the devil's army. Or what's, what's the lowest person on the totem pole in the Navy? Recruit. Okay, that's really far down. Uh, well, after you get recruited, what's the next step? Apprentice. Okay. It's probably an apprentice in Satan's army, Satan's Navy, that's giving you trouble or has before. But here's the thing. Uh we need to understand and let people know that that's going to happen, that hardships are going to come. Think about it. Why would Paul go back to Lystra of all places? Lystra was where they tried to kill him. They stoned him, tried to stone him to death. You would think he would never want to see that town again. I know I sure wouldn't. So uh, he obviously was obeying the Spirit doing what God wanted him to do. And I'm sure he was greatly concerned about his new converts that were back at Lystra and Iconium. And uh, he wanted to nurture them further. Because remember now, he's the first one that walked into town with the gospel. So he didn't leave behind a seasoned pastor or minister to lead them on into further truth and root them and ground them in teaching the word of God. And so Paul did this, we find in the book of Acts, several times as a missionary going throughout Asia Minor and Europe and uh, northern Africa even, many times or several times Paul would go back to cities where he had gone and been the first one to preach the gospel and had new converts. He would go back to strengthen them, encourage them, and to ground them in the Word of God. So he went back to Lystra, uh, and, and he made this honest statement, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Not we might, but we must. And the Greek word translated hardship really means tribulation. It also means to break. This is the hardships that Christians are going to have to go through. To crush, compress, squeeze, it signifies distress, pressure, and a burden upon the spirit. So I think we need to sit up and take notice that Paul included this honest uh, confession kind of teaching in every town 
where he went and established a church. And the believers in those churches had to keep in mind always, especially after Paul left, that in the kingdom of God, hardship and persecution are par for the course. That's just the way it is. And sometimes, just because somebody, uh, you may have heard this, somebody quotes a stirring Bible verse, and every verse in the Bible is the Word of God, uh, or maybe they take authority, quote, unquote, over a problem or rebuke Satan, and I believe in doing all those things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Satan uh, and the trial that he's bringing in that situation is just going to melt away. Usually doesn't, does it? So to present that notion to new Christians that it's all going to be peaches and cream, that is a terrible misrepresentation of God's Word. In fact, years later, as he was approaching the end of his life, Paul referred back to this time that we've just read where he was stoned in Acts chapter 14. As he wrote to Timothy, he said, You, however, know All about my teaching. Do we have this, 2 Timothy? You have fully known my doctrine or teaching, manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. Next verse. My persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Praise God. Finally, he said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ. Jesus shall suffer persecution, or they will be persecuted. Uh, At one point, Paul had to tell people that were traveling with him on a ship that was in a physical storm. He said, the ship may go down, but I've heard from the Lord, and we're going to make it. Even if you can't swim, just hold on to a board. And God says, from an angel he sent to tell me this night, that we're going to make it. So, ladies and gentlemen, if the great apostle Paul himself said that persecution is going to be inevitable, and he said that from personal experience, no less, if someone like him says persecution is going to come, who are we to think that we can somehow avoid it? Don't think so. But I don't want to give you all gloom and doom here this afternoon. God promises victory in every situation if we do it His way. If we do things His way. If we respond to the tribulation. If we respond to the storm. God promises us victory if we'll do it, respond the way He wants us to. And that's uh, a lesson for another day. Job. Most of you remember Job. He had a friend named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, in his trying to comfort Job, summed it up like this. When he said, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. If you've ever been around a fire, you notice 99.99999% of the time, when sparks fly, they go up before they melt out. 
And this man says, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, man is born to trouble. Surely, as sparks fly upward. Life on this sinful earth, when you are trying to live for Jesus Christ, will bring you challenges. Uh, we will be attacked by the enemy. We will be attacked by the devil. And that's not fun, is it? If you think that's fun, get with me after service. I want to learn your secret. But God permits. Nothing takes place in your life but what that God allows it. You say, well, why, do, why would God allow bad stuff to happen? Well, he has his reasons, and they're good reasons. And sometimes he lets us in on those reasons, but most of the time not. That's where trusting in God comes in. You see, God wants us. This is one reason God allows bad things to happen to we good people, because he wants us to learn to trust him no matter what, no matter what the challenge may be. So uh, God allows, he permits testings and trials and storms uh, and if you think there's some kind of magic formula whereby you can avoid these things, now there are principles in the Word of God that don't change for how to respond to the trial, to the tribulation, to the storm. That's true. But there's, not, there's no cut and dried formula that we could plug in and carry out that would make it to be where we won't have to go through anything bad the rest of our life. It's going to happen. There's no formula for uh, avoiding the tribulation. The danger is when you have somebody who's attempting to live for God and walk in a relationship with God who does not understand that, uh, well, they just don't understand the spiritual facts of life that life can get shaken up and, and that something unusual can happen in our life. People, especially baby Christians and people who are unlearned in the Word of God or perhaps inexperienced, they need to know that in spite of all the prayer that they can pray or people can pray for them, in spite of all the support, encouragement, and we are called to do that, to disciple uh, one another and to support and help each other and pray for one another. In spite of all of that, people need to understand they're still going to go through some stuff in this life. Amen. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. It is so important that we don't mislead people. Look at what, again, Paul here says to Timothy. Sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow labor in the gospel to Christ to establish you. He's talking to the church at Thessalonica. He said, I sent Timothy to you to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Next verse, so that no man would be moved by these afflictions. When the storm comes, they wouldn't be surprised that it's going to happen. For yourselves know that we are appointed there unto. We're appointed to go through stuff. We're appointed to go through trials and tribulations. 
he says, you know quite well that we're destined for them. We kept telling you when we were with you. I'm paraphrasing Paul now. Uh, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. Now, uh, you compare that verse and the others I read where Paul says it's going to come, it's going to happen, God's going to allow the storm to come and, and bad stuff to happen. You compare that with some of the preachers and sermons you're hearing on television today. Uh, there's one particular gentleman, I'll call him a gentleman, who uh, really uh, ought to be uh, wiser and more careful than he is who uh, has a great following of hundreds of thousands of people, or at least thousands of people, and every sermon I've ever tuned in on to hear just a little bit of it was always positive all the time. I'm not going to tell you his name or his initials, but uh, they're the same as J.O. He knows he does that. That's not an insult to him. He does it on purpose. Life is good all the time. Uh, we really do people wrong when we teach them that. That, that you're going to live on spiritual easy street. Come live for God, and that's, that's going to be what your life is. That's God's plan for every one of his children, big cars and big bank accounts and no trials and no suffering. Uh, you know, the, the churches and the preachers that teach that ought to be indicted for false advertising. Uh, I heard about one faith preacher who needed medical care, and he had taught this uh, blab it and grab it philosophy, doctrine all his life that God is only a blessing God and, and you'll be filled with only blessings in your life if you serve Jesus. And in his old age, he came down with sickness and illnesses and with embarrassment had to check himself into a hospital under an alias. He didn't even give his own name so that no one would find out he wasn't still claiming the victory. I tell you what, this man, he gave orders to refuse all phone calls and took every measure possible so that the word would not get out about his illness. Uh, another preacher of this only blessing doctrine that comes our way uh, has uh, he wrote a piece about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and said, well, Paul didn't really understand the concept that's in the Bible called positive confession or the word of faith. Now, I believe in speaking positively, and I believe in confessing faith. Uh, God teaches us in his word to do that, but that's not a panacea. That's not a capture-all cure-all that's going to make every bad thing go away immediately. Uh, the danger is that so many people like to, they like to pick and choose their verses from the Bible. And they hang on to their favorites that support what they believe, even though it may contradict other verses in the Bible. So, oh, no, we'll sweep those under the rug, and we won't talk about those. But you know what? God speaks very strongly about doing that, and he says there is a curse 
on anyone who adds to or takes away any part of his sacred word. Let's stand together. Why does God permit trials in our life? Well, I'll tell you. I don't pretend to comprehend all of his ways, but we can be sure of a a couple of things. These are truths. These are principles that you can bank on because they're in the Word, and I can prove it. One of those truths is that God uses difficulties and He uses troubles in our life to test us, to reveal to us and to Him and sometimes others how serious we are about accepting and believing the Word of God and how much we have or have not allowed the Word of God to shape our thinking and our living. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, Jesus Himself said, there are many who quickly fall away. And He didn't say if trouble comes or if persecution comes. He said when. When it comes. So, let let me stop here today. I'm running out of time. Let me just say this before I close this lesson today. Uh, I want to remind somebody here today that may be going through something that whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're going through today, and I'm smiling because of what I'm about to get to tell you, whatever tough stuff you're going through today may be, just remember this. That is going to last about three seconds compared with eternity. When we reach the other side and there is no more pain and there is no more suffering and there are no more tears to be cried, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. As the song says, we're all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a reason why you must be steeped in prayer. You've got to have a prayer life. You've got to be connected to the church by attending services and prayer meetings and other fellowship meetings because God set this whole thing up to give you strength, to give you what you need by not forsaking the assembling of yourself together with the other saints. Paul said in Hebrews, as the manner of some in his day already was. He said, don't do that because it will, it will just pray into the devils trying to pull you away from your walk with God and make it so much easier for him to do that. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us to do that, to, to pray, to stay plugged into him, plugged into the church. God, we need you today. I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us to understand these principles this afternoon, that that trials will not succeed in pulling us down if we're not alone, if we're obeying your word and and we're, we're coming to church and we're spending time with you on a regular basis daily in, in a prayer closet, staying connected to you and connected to your people the way you designed for it to take place that nothing and nobody can defeat us. Help us to do it your way, God. 
Help us to do it your way, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, help us to walk close beside you and understand that no matter how rough the road may get, if we will travel that road in the way that you've instructed us to, that you will always bring victory. Praise God. Lift your hand and thank the Lord for victory right now. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the God of victory. You're the God whose banner over us is victory. Hallelujah. We praise you for it today. Help us to walk in the victory you've ordained for us to walk. We love you today. We praise you. Thank you for all your blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. We're going to change the order of our service and uh, go into a time of pre-service prayer. Let's pray together right now that God will have his way in our worship service this afternoon. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.